G'day legends and welcome to the Unbeatable series where we'll be hearing from inspirational, influential and impactful souls to empower you to live your unbeatable life. Keep thriving and enjoy. Adam Kavanagh is your modern day caveman. He chooses to live off the land for long periods of time only eating what he catches and giving back to the land in very respectful ways. Adam has deep sacred connections to Indigenous locals at the top end of Australia and he's been accepted as one of the very few white men that are allowed to hunt and live on their land in certain areas. If you think it's a tough job to shop at the markets or the supermarket each week, Uh, You'll gain a whole new level of respect for your food and eating experiences after listening to this episode. Adam has also made his living from taking people on tours and giving them these intense rites of passage that you'll hear him explain. I personally respect Adam's work immensely. I absolutely love what he does and the space that he comes from. And I'm actually joining him on the land to hunt and connect with nature for a week And I'm taking eight other men with me from my unbeatable tribe. Who these eight men are is yet to be determined. And this episode might help them decide if it's a hell yeah or a hell no. (laughs) Now, speaking of unbeatable you, just a little update of how the eight-week immersion is going. We've got 28 men split into two groups and they are definitely leaning in and getting a lot out of it. They've been receiving content and resources to help them raise their energy levels, understand themselves mentally at a deeper level. Uh, They've had support to build out their ideal life visions and missions and values and purpose and philosophies and the frameworks to be an unbeatable leader. We're moving into the unbeatable relationship relationship aspects and the business for good aspects as well and the guys are just getting so much out of it because we've also had our weekly live coaching calls and they've been super empowering as they share and support each other through their challenges and through their growth phases at the time of this recording uh, we've had some some great feedback from guys that are saying things like lost a lot of weight, feeling deeper and better connection with their partners and their children, uh, supporting them to live life in a way that they've never lived before in their adult life, uh, reporting greater energy levels and clarity from abiding to our daily non-negotiables, and also some business wins for some of the guys because of gaining confidence in themselves and their communication and winning more work when they operate from that space. So Unbeatable You is now closed for new applicants until January 2023. So regardless of when you're listening to this, jump online and check it all out, brettrobbo.com forward slash Unbeatable You. Okay, now let's hear from the legend himself, Adam Kavanagh. Mate, have you ever been naked and afraid? I I have, actually. And uh, on TV to boot. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about that. Naked and afraid and on telly. Yeah, so um, I think it was a little bit over two years ago now I I did that. Yeah, of uh, being naked on TV, little show called Naked and Afraid. And uh, also uh, in the season that I did, 
Oh, anyway, long story short, I'm the first Australian guy on there. Yeah, right. So that was okay. Cool. So it's an American show. American show, yeah. And you were in Africa though. Yeah, in Namibia, in like the desert areas in Africa. Yeah. So tell us, what was it like? Is it like a reality show that we would expect, where the cameraman's probably got some food and stuff for you, and things are pretty cruisy behind the scenes, or was it actually like, now we dropped into the wilderness? Tell us what it was like to be there, naked and afraid. Yeah, actually, um, I guess that was even in in my mind before I did a show, like. Because you, you see TV shows, and um, it was actually funny that I that I did naked and afraid. Because I remember years ago when it first came on TV, I was like, "Wow, this is pretty loose." Like you know, because I, I like love survival shows. Like grew up watching, um, well, I guess it wasn't a survival show, but like watching like the Bush Tucker Man and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, um, yeah, like you watch those shows and you do wonder, you're like, "Oh, what really goes on behind the scenes?" And then. Um, so I had no idea what I was in for when I actually did it. And then like you hear things about other TV shows and um, I guess where I'm going with that is just, yeah, like it was the most legit experience I've ever done. Like, it, and, and to the show's credit, I was very grateful for that. that right. That, yeah, like it was, it was legit. There's no food, no water, nothing like that going on behind the scenes. Like the minute that you take your clothes off and you walk off into the bush, you're on your own. So, I was going to say banana leaves, but there's no banana trees out there in Namibia, I imagine, but literally nothing, literally butt naked you and you're with another woman as well. Is that right? Yeah. It's actually funny you mentioned the leaves. I was wondering when I went out there, like, you know, if you're going to make a shelter or something like that, that, I'm like, oh, you know, like, is there going to be any good leaves? But pretty much like the only tree out there was the acacia tree, which is like the most thorny tree. So, yeah, there was um, (laughs) nothing to use. I guess the general basis of the show, there's different variants of it. You know, like sometimes there could be like two blokes or two women or, but generally it's, yeah, one man, one woman, and you have to survive for 21 days somewhere in the world, in the wild. Right. And and naked. And do you have weapons? Do they teach you anything about the wilderness beforehand to know like what berries and food that you can and can't eat and things like that? How, how raw is it? Yeah. So- um, I guess every everyone ex, everyone's experience that's going to do the show is different. So I'm like, I have no idea what anyone else's experience was, but I um I didn't really get any time to pre- prepare for the location. Like it was very last minute, and um, it was kind of funny. Like they're pretty cheeky buggers. Uh, that TV mob. They asked me, they're like, "Where's one place you wouldn't want to survive or do a survival show?" And I'm like, "Oh." easy wouldn't want to do it in the desert <laughs> anyway <laughs> and that's where they put you that's where they put me and um it was so funny they really left it till last minute too so i was like don't really f- i don't really feel like i had much time to prepare but in a way that was kind of good too it added to the challenge of doing it yep that, that i wasn't ready but um yeah i just i i guess i had a couple of days to prepare but also let's just say I guess in general, like there's always things you can learn to do a survival or whatever, but like the area specific stuff, mm. I'd never really had a chance to do that at all. No. So what did it look like on the ground then? Were you guys, um, did you hunt down animals? Did you, was there water around? Did you catch uh, food from the water? Was, was there fresh food that was growing around? What, what did it look like from a day to day basis? And how many days did you go without food if you had to sort of catch and kill? Yeah, okay. Um I guess 
the minute they said so I, I was I was actually thinking about taking so I do a lot of bow hunting and and hunt hunt with a bow and I was actually thinking before I went I was like yeah like I'm most definitely going to take the bow and then um when they said I was going to the desert instantly I was like yeah no nah, I'm not taking the bow like chances are like there could have been animals there but in my mind I was like I I reckon I'm just going to be better just trying to catch stuff by hand mm-hmm. like I was just thinking that because in the desert, like a lot of animals are going to be nocturnal because of the heat heat during the day, so didn't take my bow, and I'm so glad I didn't take my bow. <laughs> right, and because uh, like another form of hunting that I do a lot of back here in Australia, um, I'll just catch stuff by hand, like okay. whether you call that persistence hunting or whatever you call it, or foraging. Like I'll, I'll just yeah, I'll just go out and catch stuff by hand, and that's that's pretty much how I survived on that show. Yep. Um, what what were you catching by hand? Uh, I don't know Namibian animals. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of animals there. Never seen any because they're all only hanging around at nighttime. Um, I I ended up eating a lot of grasshoppers, crickets, cicadas. Um, it wasn't until a little bit later into the challenge that I actually started eating a lot of like clams and freshwater mussels, right? Uh, water reeds. There was these little acacia beans on this tree. That, that's pretty much what – oh, well, actually, and I also – I um, made this little basket. Um, and actually, this is – so one of the – like, just sort of going off on, on the little bush trail here in the chat. Um, there is no tangents. I, I'm, I'm so intrigued, <laughs> and everyone listening, I'm sure they would yeah. be too, because at the time of this listening, they're probably in a car or walking yeah. around in, you know, with feet on concrete or tar roads or things like that, like the life that we live. So to think about you naked – I'm not sure if you were afraid or not, yeah. but you were naked in Africa. Yeah. <laughs> just, just in my head, I'm like, oh, people think I'm going to be naked. No. Um, so when I was a kid, I was pretty lucky. Like my dad was very outdoorsy. Like I, I basically was born and raised on a farm in my early years. So Where was, was that? Um, out in central Queensland, a little, little place called Springshaw. Yeah, like little little farming area. Near, just for Aussie listeners, where is that near? Uh, oh, I guess central Queensland, uh, Springshaw is like 40 minutes from a little town called Emerald. Mm. And I guess that, I a lot I of people know Emerald. Yeah, if you don't know Emerald, I, Emerald, I can't make it any clearer than that. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So you grew up out there as a bush kid. Yeah, like I, I, um, I was actually just randomly thinking this morning of all the weird crap I used to do. Um, I remember- my mum had to, oh, my mum and dad, or oh, family, or whatever, went away for a bit. And um, one of their family friends had to babysit me for a few days. Anyway, I like, I'd been outside and I'd, I'd found these frogs in this lady's backyard. And um, as you do, put them in my pants. And um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say you chucked them on the barbie or no. something like that. <laughs> How old were you here with frogs in your pants? Oh, I don't know. I must have been like six. 22 or, or six. Oh, no, oh, yeah. Right. Like I, yeah, it was yesterday. Um, <laughs> I um yeah like the lady was like getting really curious what I was doing like I kept going into the toilet out of the toilet into the toilet out of the toilet out, to- out of the toilet what I was doing I was going into the toilet and letting them go for a swim oh right putting them back in my in my <laughs> pants and uh, she ended up finding out and she's like oh yeah right this is a bit different <laughs> but that's like the that's just who I was growing up you know like I was like my um nan and pop were always saying like you know, just the minute I was at their place out in the farm I was turning over rocks and just catching bugs and stuff like it's yeah. just how I grew up doing that I just absolutely loved it so it's kind of funny that all those skills that I learned of like 
you know, catching bugs and snakes and lizards and stuff. Ended up, oh, and also, so getting back to being pretty lucky, my like my dad, he took us fishing a lot and showed us a lot of skills, like you know, like going, you know, putting your feet in the mud and um, finding like freshwater mussels to use as bait, and um, yeah, like everything to do with fishing. And it was kind of weird that it was actually all those childhood skills were my main survival skills that I used on the show. Like none of this fancy stuff that people would think about. It was like how to catch fish, how to catch freshwater uh, mussels that's, and bugs. That's how I survived. Mate, you were literally born and bred for that TV show. Yeah. Here they were Thanks, thinking, Dad. we're going to challenge this bloke. And you're like, no, this, oh, yeah, that's, it's my childhood. <laughs> that, that, that was the crazy thing. It was just like I was so nervous initially, like no one really know, but I was so nervous before I did that show. I didn't eat or sleep for three days before I did. I was just like waking up, spewing. I was just like right. I was so nervous, hey. Like, I had like no you were idea. going into the Olympics or something like that. Yeah, well, yeah. Like not ideal to not eat before you're about yeah, to go do a survival show. Yeah, be sick and spewing yeah, before you I go. I lost and... so much weight before I did it. I was just so nervous. Right. So nervous, yeah. So, mate, from if we rewind from that period of time a couple of years ago of catching bugs and being naked um, in – I've got to ask, were you afraid when you were there? Because it's called Naked and Afraid. You were in Africa, naked um, with another woman, trying to survive off the land. I, I reckon I, – I don't reckon I really ever got afraid. There was one night – that um, I basically like there was a few nights that like things were coming in around our little shelter and a leopard killed a baboon out like very close to where we were. That was like the only night where I didn't get any sleep. Right. Like that's concerning. Right. There's a fucking wild leopard killing a baboon (laughs) not far from you. Yeah. Fair enough if that keeps you awake at night. Yeah. (laughs) Mate, when I'm woken multiple times tonight from my kids and I'm not going to be frustrated at all by that, I'm going to say, just at least it's not a leopard killing a baboon outside the door. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you didn't even have a door. No. No. Oh, crazy. So, if we rewind then, um, there's this gap in between you growing up on the land and, and developing these skills and this Naked and Afraid TV show, but- I believe that you worked in the mines yep. for a lot of years um, and experienced some challenges there. Take us back to that time, like with, you know, your health challenges and things like that you experienced. Yeah, I guess um, anyone that's kind of grown up in a small mining town, um, like if I really think about it, when I was going through school and stuff, like being a miner was actually the last thing I thought I'd end up doing, but you're a product of your environment. And I was living in, living in a mining town, so naturally – I fell into a mining job, um, which I must say I actually I, I did love. And if I really look back and think about it, it was the camaraderie that I love, like, right, like nice. the working with the blokes and just like all the you know the chats that you have and and that side of things. Even though like you know miners <laughs> probably don't have the best chats, um, but yeah, I, I actually do look back on it. And um, as a kid growing up too, like I had a you know the John Tier. Uh, John Deere, John Deere tractor toys and Tonka trucks and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I, like I loved the idea of like, you know, trucks and dozers and all that stuff. So, I guess there was a, that like living out that childhood dream of all these these toys that I used to love and then I was driving them for my job. Mm. And um, So, that's what you were doing where you were driving the machine. Yeah, I was a machine operator. Yeah. And um, I guess even initially when I 
<clears throat> when I started doing it, I did think that I was like, oh, like it did feel a bit bad, like digging a big hole in the ground. <clears throat> but um, yeah, like it, it was kind of this thing of like, oh, yeah, this is pretty cool. Like I'm driving these massive machines that are like, you know, bigger than houses in some cases. And I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then like, you know, like working with great guys and stuff. And then um, I ended up doing that for almost nine years. And it was sort of at the back end of it that, yeah, like the wheels started to fall off, fall off my health, so to speak. Like, yeah, things started to uh, go pretty bad with my health. And um, I'd actually, how it all started, like, you know, everything's all good, all good. And then I remember to drive and drive into work one day and I just started like crying. I was like, what the, what the hell? Right. <laughs> I was like, you know, I got like pretty, pretty well, well off in the mines, you know, like heaps of money saved up and I had no debt, had like no issues, you know what I mean? Like, and I was like, what the hell is going on? And then uh, it, it was just so weird. I was like what, like, what the hell am I crying about? Am I driving out to work and just having a cry? And I was like, what the hell? And then, um, I guess that that potentially was related to my thyroid end up playing up, and that that can have a massive effect. And and what it end up what it end up doing, um, and this is before my thyroid played up. That actually happened, but um, yeah, like my I just remember waking up one day and I knew something was wrong. Like I had really bad depression and anxiety, and I was like, whoa, because like, I never had that, never had that before, mm-hmm. and I knew something was wrong. Anyway, I went to the doctor, and he was like, oh no, nah, mate, like maybe you just got some you know, female problems in your life. Like, you know, if you had a breakup or something recently, I was like, nah, man, like girls are not a problem for me. <laughs> and then um, I was like, I think my thyroid's playing up because it does run in my family. And he's like, nah, nah, nah. Anyway, did the blood test, sure enough, I had an overactive thyroid. And um, yeah, it like gave me really severe depression, anxiety. I was having panic attacks and stuff. But going to work and like putting this mask on because I didn't want anyone at work to know that like what I actually had what I had going on. Mm. So I'd go to work and just like people couldn't, couldn't know. I was like a shadow of a man. But yeah. Just going to work and never tell anyone my problems. Like I just keep it all to myself. And I was just like, there's a storm brewing inside. And then, um, yeah, anyway, ended up finding out that it was like, uh, my thyroid had played up, which, you know, chicken or the egg yeah, had like really bad depression. Anxiety. And then, um, the doctors, um, at this, at that stage, like really, weren't much of a help. <laughs> well, especially if you come in with those symptoms and they're saying, oh, it's probably a relationship breakup and here you are experiencing some pretty fucking deep, yeah. like depression and anxiety for yeah. them to say that. Yeah. Good on you for making them um, do the tests and know that it was health related or linked, like yeah. you said, chicken or the egg. And I even remember at the time, like, um, if I'm really honest, so that, that actually happened when I was probably about 26, that, that, that like my, I started having those bad health issues. But about 23, I did notice that like when I ate certain foods, like that I was having a, having some kind of reaction, but it was so funny looking back now. I was like, nah, she'd be right. We all do that. We all do that. You know, like couldn't possibly be bread or beers or anything like that. I was going to say, give me an example, <laughs> yeah, but no, yeah. No. And that's a common one, right? Yeah. yeah. And so a lot of guys that I work with are like, um, no, no, I'm pretty good. Like I don't think I'm gluten intolerant. But I fart a lot. Like, okay, like after bread? And, oh, how do you feel like after dairy? No, I'm, I'm sweet with it. It doesn't make me sick, but geez, I get bloated. And it's like, okay, now we have to really create that awareness of there's a link between what we're putting in and how our body is responding to that. Yeah, exactly. Like at the time, with, with what I know now versus what I knew then, I just had no idea back mm. then, you know. But like also, 
I didn't want to not have anything. I was like, nah, like I don't want to give up anything. Like surely that's not going to be the problem. And then ended up um, working out for myself actually. So I'd, I'd never really read books or anything, but randomly I just, it, it, it got to that stage where I went to the doctors and they're like, oh, right, I like, well, we can go down the medical path or we can like do an operation or remove your thyroid or something like that. And even at the time I was like, oh, that seems pretty crazy when to, to do a procedure like that, which like is non-reversible. Like once you remove, remove your thyroid, like that's, mm. that's permanent. And, um, but I'm like, you don't even know why I'm sick. And I was like, that didn't, that, like I was so not open-minded then either, but I was just like, all right, I'm going to, like, I don't even know why I had that feeling. I'm like, I'm going to just go explore some options first. As you do, got on Google and uh, this book showed up about about thyroid stuff. Anyway, bought the book, read the book, and I'll never forget it. There was one line in that book that said, a caveman diet can potentially help heal your thyroid. And then that that's when the door opened. Yeah, right. I, I went paleo. What was the book called? It's it's got a big name. It's like, um, why do I still have thyroid symptoms when the doctor says I'm normal? So it was written for you because yeah. you're in that situation. <laughs> that's exactly. Obviously, that's a common thing. I hear yeah. about this all the time, but I don't write a book on it. So it's obviously pretty common if people do that. So then you said you went paleo. Yep. So what was what did that look for, like for you? And were you still working in the mines at this stage? Yeah, yeah. I was still in the mines. Um, went paleo. Had like massive, like my health just turned around immediately. Just like, yeah, just had a massive increase in health, started feeling great. And then like from that, that kind of like kickstarted this journey and like, oh, okay, like, well, if this has helped me out so much, I didn't realize that food could have this much impact on my life. I'm like, I thought, you know, when I was eating whole grain bread, I thought that was healthy. Mm. Or if I had like a whole grain pizza, I was like, it's healthy because it's like whole grains. Whole and, grains. And, um, you know, we're was, led to believe. Yeah, I was having me oats for breakfast and I was doing all the right things. And But it's just like, oh, it turns out that for me personally, that's not actually very healthy for me. Mm. What, so what was the difference then just before we move on to that, of that feeling, like what you said, like your, your health improved significantly, but how did that play out in your life in terms of, did you find you were experiencing less of that depression and anxiety? Were you, did you have more energy? Were you more connected then in your environments with other people? Yeah, I guess one of the biggest learnings was was how much pain I was permanently in from day to day that I thought was normal. Like I, I guess I always had fluctuations in energy, you know, I'd like have peaks and dips during the day of energy or I'd be like always real foggy or brain cloud, whatever you call it. Like that was normal, like just – all these, like I had this permanent cough all the time, mm. just stuff like that. I thought it was normal. Yep. And it was like instantly from going paleo and like removing those foods that were giving me a bit of um, discomfort, like didn't have brain fog. And I was like, oh, wow, like this is actually, I feel better than I did before. I was like, I thought I actually was, I thought I was fine before. I thought that was normal. And then yep. like I started to feel better and I was like, oh, actually this is normal. And then had a like, um, yeah, at that stage, yeah, like, depression anxiety and all that stuff went away mm-hmm. yeah i mean to a degree like it wasn't it was like extremely bad when my thyroid was playing up like it was extremely bad like i guess there's always like you know you got like things happen in life that are always gonna throw a curveball at you like where i still experienced that like that was yep. still normal but because like those, you're human yeah because i'm human <laughs> but like the the massive massive like i mean i've never had panic attacks before and uh thankfully i haven't had that since sort of doing the health stuff. Like, I mean, I've still had 
you know, peaks and dips like anyone. As you said, I'm still human, but majority of my health issues have gone away since eating paleo. Like, I mean, I do, I've I've advanced since those days. Like, I've learned that there's even more to it than that. Like what? So, you you went paleo, had some significant improvements, and then what's the advancements beyond that for, for you personally? Yeah, I guess from there, learning that, like, there is no rules that, like, you know, I started trying to add some dairy back in and, and exploring that um, probably more recently, trying dairy, and then actually my thyroid played up again, so mm. that probably wasn't the best, but <laughs> you got to learn the hard way. And, um, yeah, I guess that, like, everyone is so individual and then, like, knowing that, yeah, it's, like, not one size fits all and then there's, like, exploring that. Like, sometimes it hasn't been the best for my health because I guess I'm my own, like, I'm a guinea pig of yep. like I'm we always to, are yeah like trying to work this stuff out not everything always works but it's just like yeah learning that like hey like there's so many different things that you can explore and then it evolved from there it was like initially it was just paleo and then it was after it actually left the mines it was like oh you know it's like breath work and ice baths and all this other stuff mm. so yeah there's so much I didn't know about yeah, the health, it's expansive. And then mm. the more research that comes out around it all and linking it all together. But I, I just want to kind of focus on that area because I think a lot yeah. of guys listening right now, a lot of people listening right now would be able to relate to that feeling of um, – and it, what we find is we get habitual with our food intake. And so we're used to having certain things for brekkie, certain things for lunch, certain snacks. And, of course, we might mix it up and it'll be a bit different on the weekend. And we can be kind of blinded by, well, how, what do I do? Like, if I can't have my cereal, what am I going to have? I remember working with a guy years ago and he was lactose um, intolerant and just flared up a lot, probably similar to your thyroid responses. But he's he cut so much out of his life that he still felt good about having milk on cereal in the mornings. And for me to help him transition out of that was like this massive life-changing thing. Because that connection is like, but that makes me feel good. Like I love to have that. And I'm like, but it also makes you feel bad. And so I get it. And I'm, we're all creatures of habit. And I find now with having two young kids, it's like, right, I'm in habit here. And then we've changed country and like, holy shit, right? We've got to find stuff again and all the different fresh foods. And I love it, but it's challenging. I really get it. But that ability to adapt, like you said, try things, but eliminate them if they're not working. Like I, I resonate with that. Because initially when I went paleo, it wasn't like – like the way I eat now, uh, even just like in the last couple of years has changed dramatically even just from when I first started going, um, you know, exploring health. Like initially I was like, all right, I can't have cereal for breakfast, but like what's the alternative cereal I can have? Like I was just trying to change from one thing to another because it's just awesome. like, oh, this is what you have for breakfast. Like, you know, that that's the thing. It's like, oh, you've got to have some kind of like – grain or cereal for breakfast so i remember eating like making chia seed porridge or like kind of just trying to make alternative porridge and then more recently i guess the realization is like oh you actually don't have to eat that way at all like you can you can eat however you want because i remember like i'd um like now i'll have like steak for breakfast and people be like oh um don't you get like isn't that a bit weird that you're not having like some kind of like grain porridge thing for breakfast and I'm like no actually like and if I'm really honest right now I can even tell you if I have like bananas or even something that's so called healthy straight up in the morning if I have anything too too carb heavy in the morning I'll actually feel pretty crap for the rest Mm. of the day like I seem to do better like if I have 
um, not even just steak, but if I have some kind of just like, you know, steak for breakfast or even sometimes just not eating breakfast, not like eating maybe breakfast. eating a bit yeah, later yeah. in the day, I'll feel better. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I, I attest to that. Um, when we're in Sweden, I was training a lot on the skis and then started training for a half marathon. That's very different and fueling is very different. But in the, the kind of general living when I'm not training for anything, I find that uh, intermittent fasting and sort of not eating brekkie or at least at least like 14 to 16 hours I kind of thrive on. Um, but it's it's a juggling thing for people. I, I really get that. But it's, it's just really cool to hear other people's stories and how you – um, kind of took the reins. So you knew that the food was affecting you and so you made that big change. Would you say it was easy to kind of eliminate a lot of the things or did you miss it? Did you miss the bread? Did you miss the beers? Did you miss different foods? Or was it the pain that you were getting from it so much that you felt, oh, fuck, this is actually really good. I don't miss it at all. I guess um, whether it be good or bad, I, I seem to be an all-in kind of person. So... <laughs> If health's going to be the thing that I do, I do it all the way. Like I can tell there's probably like maybe not a great mechanism behind what I'm, behind that. <laughs> but it was just like at, at that stage, that feeling of how of, of like that depression and stuff I went through, it's like I would do anything to not feel like that. Like that was so messed up that I would – it was not an issue. At that stage, I, I even remember as soon as I read that, the, read that, that line about caveman, I went to the fridge and I just chucked everything out. Oh wow! That's why I was just like, "Yeah, righto, like let's let's go all in straight up." And even my family were, were a bit like, "Oh, okay, like, okay," <laughs> you know. But that's just that's just what I was like. I'm like, "Nah, like I I want to feel good." Yep. What's the best way to do that? And then, yeah, that's that's what. So it with the evolution of that now, you live a lot on the land. Like mm. we're here sitting in person at the Gold Coast, but this is not a rarity for you, but. Usually you're, and you've just finished a couple of months tripping around and you usually do these tours. So I'd love to hear about what does life look like for you now, majority of the time? Because I would say this is not you living your normal life. You're you're in around a lot of people. You're in a city. You're, you're um, not living off the land. So what does life look like for you most of the time when you're living up north? Yeah, well, I guess over the last couple of years, I've been very, very lucky and fortunate to have permission to spend a lot of time and live off grid on indigenous land. And, um, I guess a, a normal day for me up there would consist of like, who knows what kind of crazy adventure with the indigenous people. But, uh, yeah, that would be pretty. And, and this is just another thing too. It's just like, it's so nearly, I guess what you'd say so much less stress as well. But like, I guess the, my job for the day, so to speak, is like go look for food, whether that be like fishing or bow hunting. And that's pretty much pretty much what my days consist of. And then if I've got food, if I've hunted something or if the indigenous people have went and hunted something and they've, they've given me food, because um, like there's a lot of trading goes on, I'll get something and give them food or they'll, they'll go catch something and then give me food. And then I'm like, oh, sweet, don't need to go hunting today. I'll go muck around and build some shelters or, or do something like that. And that's generally pretty much what I'm doing, just like doing crazy stuff in the bush. So living on the land, yeah. literally like that. Yeah. And the reason we've been connected is um, through a mutual friend and have followed you on online a little bit, but also we're connecting because you're helping me, you're giving me a bit of a, a tips for the guys that are in my current eight-week immersion and their little uh, overnight walkabout, I'm calling it, their little epic adventure. So we're helping um, put together a few things like that, but also because 
next year I want to bring a group of guys to you up on some land somewhere and we just want to be immersed in in what you have to offer so tell us what will that look like what does what do you actually do now when people come on these little tours with you and and what can we kind of expect yeah i guess the best way to to explain it is i guess i'll explain what i'm doing now which is crazy how it evolved as well like it it initially started like some people reached out to me and they're like oh like can i can i come spend some time with you living in the bush and i was like oh that's are you sure you want to do that <laughs> and then um it's evolved into, yeah, men coming out into the wild with me uh, for 10 days, um, uh, potentially hunting in many different ways, but basically living off the land for 10 days, bringing no food. So, you know, that's potentially pretty challenging for people, but, but so you in, only in a good way. eat what you catch. Only eat what we catch. Right. Yeah. Yep. And how do you catch and what, what are some things that you catch? Um, I guess like I was talking about uh, when I was talking about my experience in Africa and catching food, you know, by hand and from the water and, and those real basic kind of ways, we'll definitely gather food like that. Or at this stage, uh, the main ways that people like to, to hunt or reach out and the ways that they'd like to hunt is um, because I personally do a lot of bow hunting people want to come up and experience bow hunting so we'll i'll generally we'll do a lot of bow hunting or um on the more extreme end uh something that's called persistence hunting where you chase the animal down like it's just you and the animal and nothing else just barehanded catching an animal persistence hunting and so talk me through that we were having a coffee just before this and it sounds like my kind of jam but um also you're probably up there where it's stinking hot Yep. Uh, do we have any footwear? I imagine there's a lot of flies. And is there any water around? Are we going to get dehydrated trying to um, persistence hunt? So generally, um, I'll, I, it's like been more recently, like I've done things and didn't really think about it because like it was just like I was doing it unknowingly. But I guess um, humans are actually designed, we can outrun any animal on this planet. Like we can outrun cheetahs and horses because we're basically – designed as like a self-cooling system but we're better adapted to that than other animals so that's why we can also carry water so we can like over distance actually catch anything on this planet Mm -hmm. because animals can't you know cool themselves like we can right so over distance we can run down anything okay anything but the form that i tend to do so I'm using the environment to my advantage, and especially when you when I'm chasing something like a pig, um, when it gets really hot around like the pre-wet season time, it's like 40 plus degrees. Well, pigs can't sweat, mm. so they're you know they're they're not going to run. As, I mean, like sometimes they will. Like I'm, I'm probably making it sound a lot easier than it is. It's not as easy as what I'm saying. I don't think like, it would be very easy at all. No, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's like using the environment. To, to your advantage like you can carry water animals can't carry water so like yeah using that to your mm. advantage but um yeah it's uh, not as easy as I'm probably explaining it but yeah like it's literally what I'll do is I've also worked out if you have a very strong sprint animals that's me I'm a sprinter yeah like <laughs> I, I, I've worked that out myself as well like I recently took a guy out in the bush and he's a marathon runner and um, in a sprint I had him covered, but in long distance, I couldn't keep up with him. Mm. And then when an, 
like when an animal would start to get into like that endurance stage, the guy that come up, that's when he shined. Right, like yeah. He could just keep a nice steady pace and keep going. And that's more, um, I guess, how like the African tribes would have done it. You know, yep. like they did very like days sometimes. Mm. But um, I guess I've never chased anything that's that's run that far. Like generally I'll, I'll catch something in the first 100 metres or 200 metres. Yeah, right, okay. Sprint. Sweet. Yeah. That makes me feel good because I was a 100 and a 200 metre sprinter. <laughs> um, say you come up, I'd probably let you wear shoes. I personally always – so the reason I end up doing it barefoot is because like I'll just – just shotgun out of the car or if I'm walking around, I'm generally barefoot when I'm walking around. So that's just, I'll just go for it. Yep. But like, yeah, shoes would definitely help. Yeah. Cool. But, um, yeah. So, and then um, other things like, you know, with, with the, the water, what's, what's some of the animals that you catch and eat off uh, the land up there? Um, I guess the, most common food sources that I'm eating, so especially with bow hunting, you can only bow hunt invasive species in Australia. Mm. So you're not allowed to bow hunt anything native. Yep, okay. That's the most easy way to explain that. There like is exceptions to that rule, but that's different for every state and that could get, be a confusing chat. So wild pigs, yep. wild goats, things like that, yep. you can. Yep. Deer, scrubbles. Yeah, um, okay. If you're on the right land where you're allowed to do that. But kangaroos, no, you can't not allowed to hunt. do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also like more recently, like bow hunting's um, in the spotlight at the moment where potentially, you know, people are trying to um, ban it because people will go shoot native animals with a bow without like the correct tip on it and stuff like that. Like just hunting and not like a, in the correct way mm. and kind of, yeah, like with anything. Cruelty like, for the animals yeah, if it's not. Yeah. Uh, hunting's not in the best kind of, it's not very tasteful. And I think like as myself personally as a hunter and like when I like to take people out, I like to show them like the, you know, very tasteful, um, maybe not the typical way of hunting. Like we're literally, we're hunting for food, mm. very respectful of the animal. Yep. And generally like say I, we hunted something big, like a, um, like a wild cow, like one of the scrub bulls, because <laughs> most people would know there's a lot of meat. Well, we'd process that up and then we'd take it back to the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so nothing goes to waste. No, so no. if you're up there with one person and you you guys are like, sweet, we've got enough food for a couple of days now, but you chop it all up, you bag it and you take it back into the community and you yep. share it with the Indigenous community up there. Yep. Brilliant. Well, not bagging it up either. Like um, what the Indigenous people will do up there or what they've shown me so far is like um, there's a very specific leaf. So we'll gra- go grab like um, gum leaves and we'll we'll process the animal and we'll just put the pieces of meat on the leaves because it like lets the air flow okay around the meat and um that's how I'll take it back because if on you, the leaves on the leaves yep right interesting and when you say process you mean cutting it up cutting it up yeah all the pieces yep. interesting yeah do you take the bones and put them in a slow cooker for bone broth um do, yeah i do like so that's also um i, I guess not many people uh, say you go buy organ meats from the shop here, mm. eating organ meats from a freshly killed wild animal is totally different. Like Taste-wise? Taste-wise, yep, yep. Like so even for myself, like I was very hesitant because um, for my health, I started eating organ meats, like, you know, learning the benefits of them and how potentially good they are for you. Um, when I initially started hunting, I didn't really eat much of the animals that I 
that I killed. Like, so that's, it's been an evolution for me realizing mm. like, oh, you know, like you really got to respect the animals and how to, and one way to respect the animal is to eat it from nose to tail. Mm. So even, um, I guess I had a lot of hesitancy. This is years ago around eating all the organ meats and rah, rah, but, um, yeah, it like, I, I, went and bought some liver and kidney and stuff from the shop. And I was like, whoa, this is actually right. not, that, not that great. That was my first experience. And um, I mean, obviously I know now, I know how to cherry pick meat a lot better now. So when I go to the shops, I'll be able to look at liver or organ meats in the shop and, and know immediately like, well, that's good or that's not good. Yeah. Okay. So, Based on the color. Yep. Yep. Mm. So, and that's one thing I like to show people as well to like enhance their experience because like, mm. yeah, you, you want to give people a good experience with this stuff. Cause like no one wants to eat bad meat. But wild meat, especially the organs, are so much better mm. when they're fresh and they're wild. Yep, they don't even don't even taste the same. I don't reckon. Yep. I I just want to acknowledge too for the people listening. You kind of said it there that some people will be a bit put off by the hunting yeah. side of things. And and what I love hearing you say is about that respect and how you've learned that and it's evolved. I grew up in Cobar in Western New South Wales, and I've hunted with like with dogs, but I've literally run after and kind of done the persistence hunting with the help of dogs and pigs and like killed pigs with my hand and hunted in that way and taken them to the chillers and, and done that sort of stuff. Uh, and I understand that people who didn't grow up in that way uh, or have changed their beliefs over time might be a bit offended by the the hunting side of things. But I also want to acknowledge that it's the way like humans kind of evolved and I, I really respect when tribes still do it in that respectful kind of way. But uh, in the, the organ meats, like I – you know, I cook liver up all the time for my family. My wife will only eat it when I do the pate, but my kids, they just eat it. They just think it's normal. When we're in Sweden, uh, they have hunting seasons there for the elk, so like the big moose, and they do it uh, with guns and dogs. They're not it, So bow hunting is illegal in Sweden, and they're quite respectful in terms of that they the whole team then helps to cut it up and they distribute it. But they don't eat the – the heart is like kind of sacred. So the, the whoever makes the kill – they yep. get the heart and they get the heart smoked. And if you eat smoked wild elk heart, it is delicious. And so I've had that quite a few times from uh, friends and that are, that have made the kill. But my sister, uh, sorry, my wife's sister's partner, he was out hunting one time, and and I said to him, mate, if you get the kill, I want the liver because they they give it to the dogs, which is great yep. for the dogs. And he called me up one day. He had to drive to get service, and he called me up and he said. So I got, I got the kill today. We've taken everything. The liver is in a bag. It's ready for you. It was like a 40-minute drive and I had to work out how to get there. Sweet. Put the kids down. It was that night. I drove out there, finally got it, drove all the way back and it just didn't seem right. It was a bit off like color and it smelt fine, but even the texture, it was just a bit – and it was huge. It was six and a half kilos, this liver. And so I've cut it all up, done it all, bagged it all, ready for everything. And I thought, all right, I'll do one and getting late at night by the time I get through it. And I said, okay, now I'm going to make a pate for the family. I've frozen all the other stuff and I made it and that just kind of just fell to pieces. And I just thought this isn't right. And when I finally tasted it, it was disgusting. And so what I did learn is that a lot of those bigger animals, the liver isn't as great as the the smaller and the younger uh, in some of them. So it, it doesn't always happen like that. But just that thought of having that, that was my closest to getting the, the wild liver straight away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but even I would go to the slaughterhouses and they're piling all of the bones into all of the trailers 
for dogs and, and things like that. And I'm saying, see those big marrow bones there? Can you cut them to this size? I want that. And so I'm filling out our freezers with the bones as well because I make, make bone broth for the whole family. It's crazy. Um, like even for myself, I remember when I grew up on the farm, like my pop would always be eating like liver or organ meats and that. Like it was, it was kind of normal for me. Um, I still didn't eat it though. <laughs> I still didn't. <laughs> so it was normal to see it? It was normal to see it. And then, um, yeah, it's like we've really gone away from that. But it does feel like at the moment um, with like the, you know, there's like some Instagram people that are really popularizing eating organ meats again. Mm. It's really coming back around because we're realizing like, oh, wow, like this is actually like nature's superfood. Yep. And um, even for myself personally, like I always feel better when I'm eating organ meats. Yeah, absolutely. So with these experiences that you take people on for, for up to 10 days and there's guys that are coming up there and it's just you and them and you literally don't take any food, right? So if you don't catch or kill anything for a few days, then you're in a fasted state and you're literally living that way. What, out of curiosity, with with the guys that come up there uh, and, and that you work with, what are some kind of common challenges that guys tend to be facing in their life that they that they kind of want to reach out to you for uh, and even if they don't know it, that's going to be a lot easier for them to either handle those challenges or to see themselves differently after that kind of experience. What are some common challenges that you find that guys are experiencing that come and work with you? Or shouldn't yep. say work, that come and yeah. fought, like live off the land with you? Um, one thing that I've seen, and even for myself, I, I didn't realise it, but learning how to do this stuff in the wild, let's call it survival, it really gives you this massive confidence boost knowing that like, hey, there's actually like a lot of food and like that that feeling of of having that knowledge then being able to provide. And I feel like a lot of the men that come up, they get like this massive confidence boost of like having this knowledge, like this primitive primal knowledge. Because like, and that's one thing that's beautiful to see too, like these men there's like this switch that potentially we all have in us, that primal that primal aspect of everyone. And that's why I, I really think painting, hunting in a good light and showing people and making it um, uh, palatable is important because like it's, it's like when you spend long periods of time in nature, the truth is revealed to you. And like the tr- my truth is like, oh, hunting feels very – like it's like what I'm meant to do. It's like in my DNA. You see like wild animals hunt and you're like, oh wow, like that's that feeling of being that that the wolf or you know, that lion or whatever the animal is, it's just like you kind of get that feeling, you're like, oh wow, like this is what I'm meant to do. But it's like that feeling, like activating that in the men that come up is very powerful. Mm. And that feeling of like men not knowing that they had that in them. But then hitting that switch seems to be one of the most powerful breakthroughs that 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 men kind of have. And brilliant. Not that they, you know, they're gonna go out and do that in everyday life, but it's just like that feeling of knowing that you have that in in you, that 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 ability ability to to be that provider and you know that the gatherer of of the food. It yeah. seems to be like a really powerful thing. Well, it makes sense. Like you said, that doesn't mean they're going to go and live life like no. that every day. That's the same as if we go and do strength training. It doesn't mean we walk around and pick shit up all the time because no. to show that we're strong. It's a, it's a capacity from within us and it's the same with emotional capacities and things like that. So it, this this switch that you're talking about, it's innate. 
within mm. humans and within men for that hunting capacity. So have you found yourself being um, a bit of a psychologist up there or a bit of a sounding board? Like do guys kind of open up for you or is it pretty relaxed and just flow through and they, they tap more internally? It's actually funny. Um, recently I found out about something called human design and um, – I, I mean, I don't know, like people listening are probably kind of, are going to have no idea what I'm talking about, but like I'm a, in the human design, I'm a projector. So I am kind of like the person, like the guide, but I only just learned that recently. I'm like, oh, that's so weird that like I'm doing this experience, taking men out in the bush, but like my design is exactly that. Mm. Like I'm meant to be that guide for people because I can, I can uh, see things other people can't see within other people. Um, not in a woo, like woo-woo way or anything like that, but it's just like, you know, just in general in life, it's like, oh, yeah, like I can kind of see some things. And, yeah, I end up being the being the everything, being the psychologist, the the mate, the person you have a chat with, like just being the everything because I am just that, – that more the experience and that's how it feels for me. It's like just two men having some good chats. And it's in, in some ways it's like crazy as well. Like I guess we get so caught up on our phones and social media and work – and men come out for 10 days, all of that's removed. Mm. And literally it's like, oh, you know, um, I've actually got to chat to this other person for like 10 days. And it's just like how powerful that is. It's crazy. Yep. It's crazy. Like that, That if anything, maybe that is the thing. It's like just that not having social media and just actually having to chat with someone. You're letting, really you're letting us come back to yeah. who we truly are because mm. what tends to happen in our life is, and I'm guilty of it, we get caught up in all of these um, extended pleasures or ex, um, external distraction. So they might not even be pleasurable, but a lot of it, like you said, like social media or just even social circles or um, living in these kind of environments and we get um, caught up in, in the way that we're designed and the way that we're human beings, regardless of what people think about with evolution and how amazing it is with all this technology. Yeah, it's great, but it's also not what we're designed for. So at a cellular level, we're buzzing in different ways that we're not actually handling. So to get back there into true nature, what you're doing is saying to all the guys is like, let's just take away all of these distractions and just see who you truly are. Like at your core, who's this bloke that's trying to live from the core but is just not able to because there's all this literally pressure from either work, family, the mind – uh, or the, the pressure from all of that, that stuff, like I said, like technology and the actual fact that these environmental toxins have on us. So what you've got is this fucking beautiful um, opportunity for to just let guys, without you having to set up an ice bath or, a, you know, doing any sort of breath work or anything like that, it's just like, no, just come out. We're just, yeah. just let's go and be. Yeah, I, I feel like in some ways it's like it's a really – I mean, obviously it's been around for a long time, but there's like that part of it as well. It's like getting to experience something that we once were mm-hmm. and that was so normal that we've got so far away from, but it's just like experiencing that like, oh, you know, being out in nature and hunting and gathering and just like literally just experiencing something that we would have been doing once that was normal. Yeah. It's – it's like a rite of passage, right? Yeah, like the the it's funny the the men that come out have started to say that like I'm like okay, wow, like this is actually is and like once upon a time even for myself personally like I didn't realize it but back in the day, you know, like 
I guess I was trying to self-initiate myself by like driving silly in my car or like having crazy alcohol benders and all this silly crap that I, I mean, you know, I don't look back with regrets, but it's like, oh, maybe, maybe in some way I was actually trying to like do some kind of like rite of passage for myself. But then like when I started, you know, through my health journey, having to like that spending time in nature really has been very healing for me. And then I'm like, oh, wow, like, this is actually a really powerful thing. Mm. And then I was like, cause I've spent a large amount of time out by myself and that's, it did. It's like, oh, like I've kind of like sort of been initiating myself or doing something here. And then it's just like, it's beautiful to take men out and then get to share that with them now and then hear back from them. They're like, this is like a rite of passage. Mm. Like, wow. So they feel it. They yeah. know it. Yeah. And and when we were having coffee just before, you were saying that um, around that, it took you a little bit to kind of feel that even for you and yourself that – and you explained it there before. You, you, you were already living this life. Then people wanted to join you and like, okay, cool, come and join me. And you've just sort of fallen into this. This has become your business. So it's literally your way of life has become your way of life. Uh, with that rite of passage piece, you were saying it took you a while for you to actually feel like – you can be that leader and now you know by human design that that's what you're made for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I guess it, it's weird that like I kind of like I remember actually at school for a while I wanted to be like an, a teacher or an art teacher or something like that and I was like, oh, okay. But like I've got uh, – and then ended up being a minor. But like in a way it's like I've come full circle and I'm in a way I'm being a teacher but I'm teaching people – you know, fishing and hunting and bushcraft stuff. So I'm ticking that box now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I guess I was hesitant because I was like, oh, you know, like uh, like an initiation or a rite of passage is a pretty, you know, it's a pretty powerful thing. Like I, I wouldn't use that term lightly. Mm. So that's why I guess I had a bit of hesitation around it. But then like, you know, after taking men out and they're like, no, like, this is like the experience that I'm having. I'm like, oh, wow. Like I guess for myself, I was like, oh, that's like felt like a pretty big responsibility and it is a, like it is. But I'm like, oh, wow. Like, you know, people are – and even with what I'm doing, it's like people are evolving it and creating it and I'm just, I'm just there. Good. That's when you know like if it's flowing for you, it's not overwhelming and you don't have to change. Like I'm not saying to you – can we go and set up a tent and we're going to bring this and we're going to bring that? You're like, no, this is my experience. And, you know, you're welcome to join if you want to. Um, But if you don't want to, that's cool. It's not for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Love it. And, uh, yeah, I I, I just find like I'm literally keeping it so simple, just taking men out in the bush with nothing (laughs) and just basically letting nature do its thing and just flowing with it. Do you feel like – this is like purposeful for you? Do you feel like this is your, what you're here for? Yeah, definitely. I guess it was weird. I, I actually, I guess it's taken me a little bit to start and do the thing that I'm doing now because I guess I had it drummed into me that, you know, when you hear people, you know, come back from work and they're like, oh, you know, like just did another hard day, bloody hate that job. And that kind of trained me to believe that whatever my job was, I should be hating it. Mm. and then um, this is so crazy but it was like oh I probably shouldn't be doing bush adventures and I, didn't, I probably shouldn't really be trying to go down that path because I really enjoy it right. so like whatever I do I shouldn't really like 
Wow. I, I know that sounds that's, crazy to say that, but no, it's just no, like that's, you hear that, everyone That's the power complain. of environment, right? Yeah. And that's everyone that, complains. And yep. it's just like, oh, like, yeah, maybe I, I shouldn't like my job. Mm. But um, it's like I have to thank everyone that reaches out and, you know, asked to, to go into the bush with me because they're the ones who created my job. And then, like, I had a lot of hesitation around it, but, like, as I've started to do it more and more and it's, like, evolving, I'm like, like, I love it, obviously, I love it. And I'm like, oh, like, letting go of that, like, oh, I probably can do this as a job and just love it and be okay with that. Like, I don't, I don't, yeah, anyway, like, yeah, it's just crazy that that was one of my barriers was that, like, you get brought up, like, not liking your job and I was got caught up in that. And once again, because you're human and that's what happens yeah. is that that whole perspective and our beliefs, our values, our perspectives, if we let them be, can be dictated by our environment, by what people say and think and what their expectations are of us. Super powerful what you just said, because I think a lot of people would be nodding their head thinking, yep, that's the position I find myself in right now in some sort of way, whether it's overworking, like you've got to work a lot to prove your worth. Or, yeah, work isn't supposed to be enjoyable. Like, you've just got to earn the money or whatever it might be. People will resonate a bit differently, but that's really cool to hear. So, given that, do you kind of feel a bit lighter now with what you do moving through and, and accepting the fact that this can be, like, what I absolutely love and it can be how I make my living? Yeah, like, it's um, it's funny the path I potentially could have gone down if I'd just – you know, explored what I really wanted to do early on, like, you know, doing some kind of nature. Like I always knew I'm like, in my mind before this, I was like, oh, you know, like I'd love to be outdoors doing any kind of outdoors job. I just knew that. I was like, I'd just love to be doing something outdoors. And maybe that's as simple as it has to be. It's just like maybe someone is in a job and they'd just love to be doing a job that takes them outdoors. Mm. But like there's that hesitation of like, oh, no. like, Yeah. Because I, I remember – um. Well, especially if I think about that six-year-old boy on your grandparents' farm <laughs> flipping rocks and probably eating grasshoppers and stuff back then, whether you remember it or not. But that's that that's that boy within you thinking, I'm confined in this truck, yeah, earning good money and I like the camaraderie, but get me outdoors because that's the boy in me that – like the, the good boy behaviour – or not good boy, but the empowering kind of boy aspects as opposed to our disempowering boy behaviours that we can hold on to as men, which is a whole different topic. But the six-year-old boy within you was thinking, I'm caged inside this truck, get me out, let me flip rocks and catch shit by hand and eat it. <laughs> That's the crazy thought. It's like the thing I was doing as a kid and uh, I, I think I've had chats about this recently. It's just like it's funny I've done this like full circle where I'm rolling rocks and catching bugs again and that's – pretty much my job now i'm like what the hell <laughs> like who would have thought something like that would have happened because like yeah it's like i already knew what i wanted to do and i was training for it my whole life mm. you mentioned there before too so the guys get this great rite of passage with you but you've also done uh breath work ice baths uh, you have these other practices in your life nutrition is obviously something really important to you when you're off the land how much do you uh kind of chat to the guys about that that these are things that they can do when they go back into their environment because you know that that can help them mentally like with mental health it can help them physically help them emotionally which allows them then to show up and be better partners you know be more themselves really be more connected with their family be more connected with their their work and find that purpose and mission within themselves how much do you kind of talk about that with the guys yeah generally like every time someone comes out with me i guess i've been pretty lucky like the the last few blokes they're pretty well versed in all that stuff so they already know about it so they just have great 
chats about all of that. And then, yeah, like I'll, I've had blokes out before that have nothing to do with that, but it's just like generally like when you're spending 10 full days with someone, it's like you have plenty of time to have those chats. But, yeah, it's just it's great to see, um, especially for people that haven't done the breath work before and you're like, oh, wow, like, you know, and you show someone breath work or something for the first time and they're like, what is that? Yeah. Like, I, like I just remember the first time I stumbled across it and like you have that feeling like – that is pretty cool. And even like for the guys that, that already do know about this stuff, like it's just great to have more chats about it because mm-hmm. even within that stuff, like you're always learning more and more and there's always things you didn't know before and just, yeah. Yep, connecting and resonating. Yeah. So you might have answered the question, but this Unbeatable series is based on the fact that I love connecting with legends like yourself and I'm super inspired by humans that have experienced challenges or adversities in their life and they haven't remained victim to those. They've kind of taken radical responsibility like you with your health and sifted through and cleared the shit in their life, taken that radical responsibility and then on the other side, not only feel fucking awesome within yourself, but the work that you're doing is to allow other people to, to feel that way too. So based on the work that you do, and we kind of just had a bit of um, brief chat then about other things, but what would you say – some key elements through your experience of your shifting and through the experience of how you see men shift, a couple of key things that can allow people to kind of live their unbeatable lives that they should be thinking about implementing on a regular basis. Yeah, I guess um, the best way for me to chat about that is just to chat through my own experience. And um, I guess over the last couple of years, taking responsibility for my health was definitely one of the biggest, if not the biggest thing that I've done and like getting that curiosity to explore myself through like, you know, self-development stuff or like food or health or any of that stuff, like just actually having the curiosity and the open-mindedness to explore that stuff. But then more recently, like with, like with all of that stuff, I guess deep, deep down, and even recently, like I'm just a human and <laughs> make mistakes and some of them really big mistakes like anyone else, actually just accepting my own crap and, and um, being responsible for it and just actually accepting that, you know, like, yeah, there's no point in me blaming anyone else for any of my problems and just fully owning and accepting that like, hey, yep, I'm a human and I've got to own my shit and be responsible for it. What does that open up for you? I'd, like, I guess there's like, there's a lot of responsibility around that. But um, it, I, I mean, initially, I guess, I guess like most, most people, um, they can probably resonate with this and I'm going like sideways here a bit. There's but, no sideways. <laughs> um like fully just being able to look at myself and things that I'm doing and just being more self-aware is maybe what it opens up. Superpower. Yeah. But like I guess even to where I'm going with that is like um, being ready to face some pretty uncomfortable stuff is what is what happens when you 
it was all what I've found personally more recently is like, you know, you know, when you stuff up or like fully taking that responsibility is like, yeah, you know, like it's going to be, you're going to have to some pretty, you're going to have some pretty uncomfortable challenges, but like, that's also part of it as well as like being ready for that. And kind of like when the guys come out of your rite of passage too, there's probably a lot of fear when the guys go in, a lot of growth, a lot of challenge through that period of time with you. And then at the end feeling like, fuck, I can do anything. Yeah. You've tapped, you've helped them tap into that, that, that being and shed everything else from that. So now that's awesome to hear you say that. Like that self-awareness is is huge. And honestly, that's the starting point and one of the key things that I work on with everyone and myself is always the key thing of that self-awareness because if we're not aware, I've actually created the AAA battery method. It's awareness, acceptance, action. Yep. So without the awareness of what we need to change or our disempowering states or whatever it might be, then – we can't do anything about it. So there's the awareness and then there's the acceptance piece because if we're aware that we are in uh, a disempowering state and we're very frustrated or we're aware that our health challenges or we're aware that we made a mistake, but we don't accept that and we're like, I'm judging myself or I blame someone else or whatever, then you can't then take the right action to try and change that that thing, that challenge that's in your life. So then awareness, the acceptance piece of what is, and then the action. And then the action is that tool belt. The action might be going up and spending time with you. It might be breath work. It might be an ice bath. It might be crystal clear communication with your partner instead of assumptions and fights and arguments or whatever it might be. But it's a, it's a cool little piece to go through. Cool, mate. Well, we've been, we could definitely chat. Uh, I'm sure definitely. that we'll have you uh, on again after we have this experience. We could keep chatting all day, but where can people find you? Where's the best place online? I know that you're out in the wilderness a lot, but if people want to connect with you and follow your journey uh, where's the best place when you are connected to the world in this way that we are connected? What's the best place? Instagram, Facebook? Yeah, just Instagram and Facebook. And no doubt when you put your video up, people will be able to find me there. That, that easy. <laughs> what is the Instagram tag? What are you on Instagram? Uh, it's just Adam Kavanagh. But Adam Kavanagh. Yeah, people probably aren't going to be able to spell it, but they'll, they'll work it out. We'll work, they'll work it out. <laughs> they will for sure. Mate, before we wrap up, is there anything that you would like to leave with the listeners or anything that you would like to ask me? Yeah, I'll just, just share something randomly. We're so much more capable of things than what we think we are. And that's one thing that spending time in nature has taught me is that like we are literally like these beasts, but we just don't know it. And that like, you know, it's we, we're capable of so much more than we, we think we are. And it's just like I've been lucky enough to see other men go through that and, yeah, just thought I'd just share that. <laughs> Mate, that's a powerful way to finish. Adam, you're a legend. You're a prime example of someone who has taken radical responsibility in their life, as we discussed, and made the changes required for you to thrive on the other side of these challenges and, and live your unbeatable life. And what's most inspirational about that is the work that you're doing now and you're leading other men uh, to be able to feel that within themselves and then take the reins and take that radical responsibility and that core version of themselves that they know is in there to make an impact in their lives and the people around them. So you're an absolute legend. Super grateful for your time, mate. Keep shining your unbeatable light to the world, my man. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Thank you. There you go. Now, that is an unbeatable life that's pretty different to anyone that we've had on the show before. 
Make sure you follow Adam on Instagram at Adam underscore Kavanagh underscore or check out his website at adamkavanagh.com.au and there's links for everything from his website and I've created those links in the show notes so you can click on it and go directly to his handles. If you're a bloke and you're keen to join Adam and I and a small group of other genuine men for one of Adam's rites of passage, you can be invited once you're part of the Unbeatable Tribe, which is available to you after completing the Unbeatable U eight-week immersion, as I spoke about in the intro to this episode. So if you want to find out more information, jump on to brettrobbo.com forward slash unbeatable you and you can read all about it there and feel free to contact me anytime with any questions at all, even if it's got nothing to do with unbeatable you. I'd love to hear from you. Keep thriving and as always, remember, if not now, then when? If not you, then who? This is your opportunity to live your unbeatable life.